All right, thank you guys so much. If you have a Bible today, uh, maybe on your phone or in your hand, I would love for you to take it and open it up to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark chapter 2 is our text today. This story is also found in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. Matthew chapter 9 and Luke chapter 5 record the same story, but we're going to look at Mark's version of the story of the paralytic, the one that Jesus met that day in the home. Probably it's the home of Peter and his brother Andrew. It's a fascinating, fantastic, amazing, riveting story. And if you are new to Great Hills today, let me just um, share with you what we're doing for a lot of this year of 2018 is we're studying the New Testament. We're studying the life of Christ. And what a great uh, study that is, amen, to study the life of Jesus. And in specifically, we're studying the way he interacted with people. And we're calling this uh, sermon series For the One. And uh, G. Campbell Morgan in his excellent book, The Great Physician, he documents there are 50 of these type of stories in the New Testaments and all the three synoptic gospels and the gospel of John, where Jesus Christ literally, he, he follows the Father's will for his life. And he stops and he ministers, he serves, he heals, he takes care of, he saves, he does all these amazing and mighty things. And so today, we get the grand privilege of studying the life of Jesus Christ as he ministers to this man who is paralyzed. He is a paralytic, and he is completely at the mercy of his four faithful friends who take him up to the top of the house, cut a hole in the rooftop of the house, and lower him down in the presence of Jesus Christ. And so what we're trying to do here at Great Hills throughout this year is we're really trying to sensitize our people to the one. Who is that one person that God would allow you to meet during the week so that you're able to encourage them or pray for them? You're, you're, you're able to invite them to Jesus or invite them to your church. And God gives us these amazing opportunities. And what's so impressive about Jesus, there's many things. But this one, John 5, 19, he basically says, I always do what the Father asks me to do. I'm just in complete agreement with the Father's will. And so as he leads me, I will be obedient and I will reach people and touch people. Some of you are saying, but I want people to reach me. I want people to touch me. I'm, I'm hurting. I'm, I'm downcast and I'm struggling. Well, let me just tell you something, friend. You're in a good place because you are here today in the presence of God, under the teaching of the Word of God. You're amongst the people of God who love you and love God. And so we want to usher you into the very presence of God so that you can be helped. You can be encouraged. And then you can be bolstered and strengthened in such a way that you're able to go out and in the power and in the grace of God, you're able to touch and help other people. So last week, wow, last week was amazing. I'll tell you, Good Friday, thank you so much. Many of you came to the Good Friday service. Many of you served. Friday night was an amazing night at the Frank Irwin Center. Saturday, uh, they tell me there was around 3,000 people here on our campus Hunting Easter eggs, right? Watching them fall. They didn't have to hunt hard, did they? They just fall right out of the sky. The novelty of the helicopters, not just for the kids, but for the, for the parents. It was so fun. But so amazing last week was the gospel was clearly presented and people accepted Christ and it was just an amazing day. And then Sunday, praise the Lord. Well, Saturday after the helicopters and the, the gospel and the Easter eggs. I went to the gym, which is, which is not uncommon for me. I love to go to the gym and, and work out, but I was so fired up for the one. I'm like, Lord, who is my one today? 
at Lifetime Fitness. And so I just kind of had my spiritual radar up, right? And I was like, who is he? Who is she? Who can I minister to today? And here he came. I'd never seen him before. And uh, he was an African-American man. He was walking down the steps. And as he came down the steps, I just went right up to him. And I said, sir, I don't think I know you. And I just want to take a moment, introduce myself. Welcome to this gym. I've been coming to this gym for about eight years. And I know a lot of the people here. I know a lot of the employees here. And I just want to reach out to you and just tell you, I hope you're having a good day. Now, being that he's an African-American man and I'm a, a white Anglo guy, I think this is a very good thing. I think it's always a beautiful thing when you and I reach out to a person of color, reach out to a person of a different ethnic group because there's so much turmoil in our world. There's so much angst and anxiety in our world. It's a very small thing, but if you, a white person, and most of you, that's who you are, if you'll just take a step towards somebody of a different color and just say, how are you doing? Uh, how, how can I pray with you? So that's what I did with this gentleman, and he kind of startled him. He's like, oh, okay, well, uh, we're right in the middle of the gym. You say, well, people might hear you. So what? People might walk by and say something. Amen. And so I just began to talk to him and say, listen, I don't know if you have a place tomorrow. Tomorrow's Easter Sunday. I'd love for you to come. He goes, well, I work. I work from 6, to 2 a, uh, 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. every Sunday. Do you have anything on Wednesday? We, I said, absolutely, we do. I teach twice on Wednesday night. I teach at 6 o'clock, and then I teach again at 7.45 in our mentor groups. I'd love for you to come. And then what he did next surprised me. He looked at me and he said, sir, you know, we all need to be washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I was like, whoa, 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 what? And then he kept going. He just started preaching to me. I'm just standing there going, wow, this guy, he goes, and you know what? He said, when I was a, when I was a child, he said, I always was confused why this one passage of scripture. By then, he had me. I mean, he had me in the palm of his hand. I, mean, I was just like, well, what was that? He said, you know, in the Bible, it says we, and he just started preaching. In the Bible, it says we're to pray without ceasing. He said, I never really understood what that meant as a child. But now I understand that all throughout the day, we're to keep our minds and our attention and our focus on Jesus throughout the day and pray without ceasing. I said, sir, that is a fine interpretation. I said, thank you for sharing that with me. And you know, one of two things usually happens. If you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit for the one, you will meet a person like A.M. That's what I'm going to refer to him as, A.M. That's his initials. And he's a believer, and I'm blessed, and I'm encouraged. Or I get to meet, you get to meet an unbeliever, somebody who's far from God, or somebody who is maybe, uh, uh, maybe a little cynical, to, cynical towards God. And you get to share Jesus with them, or you get to pray with them, or you get to invite them to your church. Hey, by the way, both of those are great prospects. <laughs> you either fellowship with a believer, or you get to share the gospel with an unbeliever. Or sometimes the one just shows up at your door. And if you're like me and you have people come to your house and work on things, um, some of you are like, well, I, don't, I, I fix everything in my house. Well, good for you. Bless your heart. I don't fix anything. So we have people come in and fix our house. And, and God just brings people literally to your house. Jeffrey Samplaski, my son-in-law, my sweet Hannah. They have a brand new neighbor, and the neighbor comes over to their house last week, knocks on the door and says, hello, I'm new to the neighborhood. Hello, <laughs> knocks on the door. Hello, I'm new to the neighborhood. My family and I, we're pretty much devastated through the hurricanes last year. We've moved from Beaumont to Austin. And sir, I just want to meet you. I'm a new neighbor, and I just want to ask you, what's your name, Je Jeffrey? Jeffrey, do y'all know any churches in the area? 
I mean, it's like sometimes God just brings them to us just like he did that day in Capernaum. Now, I call it Capernaum. You can call it Capernaum. But it's, it's Jesus' headquarters of his entire Galilean ministry was in the city called Capernaum. And in the city, there was Peter and Andrew. They lived there, Mark 1, 29, and so did Peter's mother-in-law. In fact, when you go to Capernaum with me in just a few weeks, I can't wait. We get to go back to Capernaum. We will literally stand where Jesus stood there in the synagogue in Capernaum. And then when you look just a few hundred feet, you'll see on the other side of the road, and there's a church built on top of this house, and that was Peter's mother-in-law's home. So here we are in Capernaum. And it's a beautiful story. And I want you just to come on inside the text with me. And there are some fascinating personalities and figures in this text. And this is so rich. Church, I tried to get through this sermon and and these texts in one sermon. I just couldn't do it. So instead of just rushing through all 12 verses, we may get through four, all right? That's okay? If if we go through four and five, we can get out at noon. If we go to chapter 2, verse 12, we'll get out at 2 p.m., all right? So we're going to stay. We're going to stay with going through verses four and five. Now, here it is. I'll read the whole text, though. And again, Jesus entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that Jesus was in the house immediately. Ethuos. Now, that is an interesting word. It's Mark's favorite word in the Greek New Testament, ethuos. We'll read it in verse 2, verse 8, and verse 12. There is a sense of movement in the gospel of Mark. There is a sense of urgency and immediacy. And so he says, immediately many people gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And Jesus preached the word to them. Then they came. They came to Jesus. And they were bringing a paralytic, a man who was paralyzed, and he was literally borne up by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof. Now picture in your mind's eye with me for just a moment. They have scaled up the side of the building. It's a one-room little Israeli home, very modest home, like most of the homes were in the first century. And they go up the side on the, on the ladder. Now, it's hard enough to get up a ladder by yourself, but can you imagine four of you? I don't know how they did this. Maybe two were up top, two were below, and they were, they were ho- hoisting this man up with, with rope, some kind of pulley system, and they were picking this man. This man is absolutely paralyzed. He can't do anything for himself physically, so he has his friends, and they are lifting him up on the roof because they're about to cut a hole in the roof and let him in to see Jesus because it's so crowded. It's so crowded, not only in the house, but in the peripheral of the house, in the, in the foyer areas, on the outside areas. It's so crowded. They can't even get near Jesus, so they very creatively go up on the top, and they, because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where Jesus was. So when they had broken through, broken through what, church? The roof. What do you think about that? What do you think about somebody breaking in your house? Because they want to know Jesus. And they cut a hole in the roof. Very unconventional evangelism, by the way. But anyhow, they, they broke a hook through. They let the man down who was the paralytic. They let the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their ingenuity, when Jesus saw their creativity, when Jesus saw their perseverance, when Jesus saw their endurance, when Jesus saw their friendship, nope, nope, nope. When Jesus saw their faith, 
He saw their faith. He saw their belief. He saw their trust in him. It doesn't say it in the text, but I can't help but something's going on here. I think Jesus was smiling. I think he was just kind of shaking his head going, my, 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 something's about to go down in the house today. I don't know what Peter and Andrew are thinking. They're probably going, my, 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 there's a hole in my house, you know, a roof. And then there's another group of guys. They're sitting on the side. They're the cynics. And I think they're just like, ah, crazy people. Why in the world would they even want to come here, this guy, anyhow? So we'll talk about those guys in a moment. But Jesus saw their faith. And he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven you. In Matthew's account, it says, now be of good cheer, take courage, pick up your bed and go. Now some of the scribes, there they are, sitting in the corner of the room. They're there, they're reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man, interesting how they pejoratively refer to Jesus, not as the son of man, son of God, eternal king, but no, their arms are crossed, there's a scowl on their face, there's bitterness in their heart, and they, they say, why does this guy speak blasphemies like this? Because who can forgive sins but God alone? But, what's, what's that word? Immediately. What's the Greek word? Okay, that's okay. Sorry, sorry. Ethuos, ethus. But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit, Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus reading minds, healing bodies, saving souls. That's my outline for next week, so we'll we'll get there next week. But when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why? Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man... He didn't say that you may know that this guy, (laughs) that this fellow that you contemptuously and pejoratively refer to, Jesus knows who he is. He says, I'm the son of man and I have power on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralytic and everybody's watching, this is the moment. This is the defining moment that if, if this man really does rise, then Jesus really does have power to forgive sin because if Jesus can do something in the corporeal world, if Jesus can do something so palpable, so conspicuous in the physical world, then maybe, just maybe, he can do the same in the spiritual world. And so all is on the line. Jesus, his life and ministry and integrity on the line. And when he speaks to this guy, this paralytic's gonna have to get up and start walking or Jesus is a fraud. And so Jesus said, arise, Take up your bed and go to your house. And there it is again. What is it? Immediate. Don't y'all like that? That's why Mark's gospel is my favorite because it's moving, all right? It's happening. It's it's happening. Immediately he arose. Now you read that like you've never read that before, all right? You say, what? This man is paralyzed? Is he a quadriplegic? We don't know, paraplegic, I don't know. But we know this, he can't walk. But now he arises, he takes up his bed, and he walks out in the presence of them all so that all were, what? Amazed. By the way, when Jesus is in the house, amazing things happen. (laughs) When Jesus is on display, 
miracles happen, gospels preached, bodies are healed, souls are saved. And they all glorified God. And they said, we have never seen anything that remotely resembles anything like this. So today, we're going to study the healing of the paralytic. He is the one that day for Jesus. I know there's a big crowd, and I know there's a big crowd here today. But I don't think God is so much interested in the crowd as he is the one, the one person who is here at Great Hills Baptist Church, whose soul is hurting, whose mind is wrecked with, wrecked with, with emotional distraught and in pain and depression and suffering, whose body is ailing, whose spirit is weak, whose soul is crying out for help. Does anybody know me? Does anybody recognize me? Can, is there any hope for me? And I'm telling you today that you are here and Jesus is here and it is his desire to meet you where you are. It's his desire to bring you out of your doldrum and your depression and your discouragement and your despondency and your death and your defeat and your despair, all those hurtful things. It is God's will that he reaches down to you in the power of his Holy Spirit and lifts you to a place that you've never been before. Hallelujah. What a Savior. What a Savior. Now, there, there are a few moving parts in this narrative, and I'm going to try to capture them with just uh, three words three times, okay? The first triumvirate of trilogy of words is preach the word. That's, that's what we're going to look at today. The second one is called bring your friends, and that's what we're going to look at a little bit later today. But the last one is probably the best part. We've got to wait till next week. It's called watch Jesus work, okay? But the first part, let's look at preach the word. Now, Jesus is in Capernaum. I brought a picture of Capernaum today, the, the synagogue, and I want to show it to you. I took this picture almost 10 years ago when we were there in the Holy Land in Israel. And so um, there it is. That is the synagogue, the meeting place of the Jews in Capernaum. There it is. It's beautiful. When I first went there 10 years ago, I was absolutely amazed at the prodigious size of the Jewish meeting place. This, this has a lot of amazing history. This place does. Now, by the way, that is some still of the remains of the original synagogue in which Jesus preached. Now, it's been rebuilt through the years, but that is, that is the place of Mark chapter 2. They know this for a fact. I mentioned to you earlier, this was the place of Jesus' Galilean headquarters. 80% of the miracles of the New Testament in Jesus Christ were performed right here in this city of Capernaum just like Bethany in the south. And we'll talk about this in a, in a few weeks when we're over there. But Bethany in the south, Jesus stayed at a home. He stayed at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' home, Bethany in Judea. But whenever he was in Galilee, he spent a lot of time there preaching, and he spent a lot of time probably in the home of Peter and Andrew, and probably even in the home, we know he was least in the home sometime, of Peter's mother-in-law because he healed her. So Capernaum is this beautiful city, this large synagogue. A Roman centurion built this. The Gospels tell us in other places that a Roman centurion who, who has a command of 100 soldiers, he was so benevolent and gracious toward the Jews that he gave the money to build that synagogue that you're looking at. And that same man, Jesus Christ, healed his servant. 
it makes me think that you never know when you give and when you help and when you do something in Jesus' name, you never know how God is going to use it. And so Jesus is there in Capernaum. I love this place because I'm going to tell you why. When we're over in, in Israel, our, our tour guide, he, he showed us amazing places. And I'm so forward, so looking forward to going again. I just can hardly stand it. And when we're over there, I don't know if this tour guide will tell us, but this last one told us, he said, you know, we're going to show you a lot of places. We're going to show you the bodies of water. We're going to show you some, I mean, just some amazing places in the Bible. But there are going to be two places we're going to show you that we know without a shadow of doubt Jesus Christ stood. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my word. Talk to me more. Talk to me more. They said, one is right here in Capernaum. And I never wanted to leave that synagogue because somewhere in that very place, Jesus Christ stood. Now, for you Bible scholars, you want to know what the other place is. Thank you for asking me. I'll tell you. It's John chapter 5, the pool of Bethesda. A few years ago, they unearthed this place, and, and it's precisely like the New Testament said it would. And archaeologists and secular historians laughed at the Bible. They scolded the Bible because the Bible says in John 5, there's this colonnade, these five colonnade porches, and there's this pool of Bethesda. And they said, it does not exist. And then they dug a little deeper, and they said, my word, it exists precisely. Like the Bible said, it exists. And Jesus stood right there. So Capernaum, there he is. You say, well, what does he do in that great city? He does this. Preach the word. You, you get that, the buildup in verses 1 and 2? They're like, Jesus is in the house. By the way, when he's in the house, uh, people come. It's the same way today. When people find out that Jesus Christ is alive and well in your church, by the power of his Holy Spirit, then people will make their way to your church. They will want to come because they know Jesus Christ. He, he, they see him. They, they feel his presence through the proclamation of his word, through the fellowship of his people, and, and people are drawn. They're still very drawn to Jesus when he's in the house, and he's got this packed house. Never underestimate the power of a packed room. I mean, it is crowded, and, and Jesus is probably surrounded with people. And the Bible says, and this is what he does. He laleo ton lagon. He teaches and speaks the word to them. He doesn't perform a magic trick. He doesn't give them a 18 ways to how to build up your self-esteem. He doesn't teach them some pop psychology, preaches the word of God to them. You know why? Because that's what people need. They need a word from God. They need a word from God. And Jesus was obedient to the Father. And he says, I'm going to teach them what the scriptures say. Man, wouldn't you like to have been there? Ooh, son, you couldn't uproot me out of that place. I'd be saying, I'm sorry, this is my pew, honey. I ain't getting up from here. To, I am here to hear him. Jesus is speaking the word. I, as a preacher, as a teacher of the word of God, this just fascinates me beyond words. I hope I hope I can go out preaching the word. I hope one of the very last things I do on planet earth is what George Whitfield did. George Whitfield was a mighty evangelist in the great awakening, the first great awakening. 
1740, 1741. He was the Billy Graham. I mean, he preached in all the Nasset colonies, all the 13 colonies from Maine to Georgia. Everybody knew his name. George Whitfield was a mighty Anglican pastor, good friends with Benjamin Franklin, good friends with Jonathan Edwards. And George Whitfield, he helped coalesce and codify and bring together the colonies which enabled them to overcome their enemy in England. Even secular historians will, will vouch for what I just said. Through the preaching of George Whitfield from Maine to Georgia, he, he builds the colonies together, surrounds them in a unified front, and through that unity, they're able to come together and win their revolutionary war. Here's, here's this mighty preacher. He was a very gifted orator. And God took his gifts of his oratory in the play and the theatrics and used all of those gifts in the preaching of the word. He'd preach 10 times a week. Almost every week in 1740-41, George Whitfield would be preaching. His last sermon was in Newburyport, Massachusetts, September of 1770. And he's out in a field, this large field, and he's standing, watch this, he's standing on a barrel. <laughs> a barrel. I don't know what's in the barrel. Doesn't matter. He's standing on the barrel, and for two hours, George Whitfield preaches, and the people, man, they know he's preaching the Word of God. He's preaching Jesus Christ. In fact, I know what he preached. Somebody recorded it. And his sermon was on the merits of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And George Whitfield said, and I even have a quote, I'll, I'll, I'll share it with you. It goes like this Works, works. A man gets to heaven by works? What? I would as soon think of climbing to the moon on a rope of sand than to get to heaven through works. So he preached Christ. People are saved. People's lives are changed. Then he goes home. He's staying there in a little home. It has an upstairs, and he goes up the stairs, and he goes to bed. He's deathly ill. He's awoken in the middle of the night, and people hear people scurrying. There's movement down underneath, and, and George Whitfield grabs a candle. He's deathly ill. He lights the candle, and he goes down and sees a throng of people. <laughs> a throng of people. You say, what were they doing? Eating bluebell ice cream, hanging out? What were they doing? No, they just wanted to hear the Word of God. By the way, when revival comes... And when God is moving in a nation and moving on a preacher and moving on a people, I mean, people are hungry for the Word of God. So this is what he does. He gets his little candle. He goes out on the balcony, on the steps, and he preaches a sermon to them, blows out his candle, lays on his bed, 6 a.m., he dies and goes into the presence of God. Preachers, that's a way to go, isn't it? Man, that is a way to go to preach and then go right into the presence of God, the preaching of the Word of God. Let me just say something to you. Wait a minute, who, if I'm up here, your pastor or not, if I'm your preacher or not, or if these guys are your pastors or not, it doesn't matter. The most important thing that happens on Sunday morning is the preaching of the Word of God. It's not the music. It's not the, it's not the singing. It's not the offering. It's the preaching of the Word of God. That is paramount. That is preeminent. That is what God desires of his people. You say, how do you know that? Because the Bible says Jesus preached the word to them. In church, he preached the word to them. You say, ah, 
See, that's, that's, why, I'm so, that's why I'm so fired up. Because I, I can do a lot of things in ministry and a lot of things are important. There's nothing more important than what I'm doing right now. Because I open up the sacred text. And we go verse by verse and we just study. Oh, there's Capernaum. Where is that? It was on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's the Galilean headquarters of the Lord Jesus Christ. 80% of his miracles are performed. Immediately, many are gathered together. There's no longer room to receive them and not even near the door. And Jesus Christ stands and he preaches the word. I want to read a verse to you out of the New Testament, 2 Timothy 4. And I just want to go ahead and tell you, these are our days. You ready? I charge you, therefore, Timothy, my son, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus who will judge the living and the dead when he comes again, at his appearing and his kingdom. Timothy, whatever you do, caruso tan lagon. Karuks is be a herald, preach, teach the word, and be ready, Timothy, in season and out of season. Convince people, rebuke people, exhort people with all patience and teaching. And here's why. The time will come. Church, Great Hills, I just want to tell you, the time has come when people will no longer endure sound doctrine. They do not want to hear the Word of God. But they do, according to their own desires, they want to have itching ears tingling ears, and I want teachers, they want teachers who will stand up and tell them what they want to hear. And Timothy, that day is coming. And church family, that day has come. And they will, these teachers will turn away from the truth. They will teach people, and all over America today, there's very little Bible exposition, but there is a ton of pop psychology and happiness and the 18 ways to get ahead in life, to overcome finances or to affair-proof your marriage. And that's all good. But there's a time when the man of God must open the Bible, the Bible, and preach the Bible. Because they'll turn away and they're going to be, listen, when you don't turn to the truth and you turn to fables and myths, and fallacies, and stories. You know, in my early 30s, I, I was preaching the same gospel, and the same Bible, and in the same way. And, and it was interesting. It was like there was just a hunger for the Scriptures. Multiple services, thousands of people coming to hear. You say, well, what's so famous about you? Nothing. But I preached the Bible. Fast forward 20 years, there's a coolness <laughs> toward the preaching of the Word of God. Now, I, you know, if I had a lick of sense, surely I would change up my homiletical strategy and quit being so preachy, dogmatic in the Scriptures, and we can get a whole lot more people here and thus disobey God. I don't want to do that. I would never, ever compromise the teaching of the Scriptures in order to appease Man, so that I might be elevated or so that more people might come. Let me tell you something. Let me, let me just go on, go on record and say this. Jesus is enough. His word is enough. And we're going to preach it, teach it. Okay. Bring your friends. Bring your friends. 
I love this text. I love what these four guys did. Creative, scaling the side of the house. By the way, an Israeli home at this time would look something like this. It would be very small. <laughs> I'm thinking a few, maybe a hundred, couple hundred, I don't know, three or four hundred square feet. It's very small, very humble. And upstairs would be the top and there would be mud, thatch, roof, some beams, tile. Maybe some of the more expensive homes would have some tile. And so they, these guys go up and they're on top of the roof. It's sturdy enough. There's five grown men and they're weight bearing on the roof. And Jesus, he's teaching the word and there's a sawing going on. And I don't know, I don't know about you, but this is what I'm thinking. Well, goodness. What in the world? Wow! Dust, debris, dirt descending on my head. And I know Peter and Andrew are going, what in the world? Who are those idiots? And I'm sorry, I just trying to think, who are those people? And I, again, I, I really believe Jesus is going, this is awesome. <laughs> this is awesome. And then they lower him, they lower him down. You think they got everybody's attention? You know what's so beautiful about this is these men went to great lengths to get their friend in the presence of God. The greatest thing you can do for your friend is to get him, get, him, get her. Let me just remove myself for a moment because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's up there as long as he's preaching the word, okay? Get him here so he can hear the word of God. And if I'm doing my job and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, there will be a conviction of sin. There will be a salvation of the soul. There will be a depth and a deepness of a walk with God. But you got to get them in the presence of God. Now, I'm not nullifying or mitigating personal evangelism at all. In fact, I think we got to do both. I think we've got to witness to people, talk to people wherever they are, and invite them. You come. Come and hear the expositional, the didactic teaching of the Word of God. And that's what happened. And they got him there. And I, I put myself in, in the shoes of these guys. The Bible is very interesting. In verse 5 says, and when Jesus saw their faith. Did y'all catch that? Not his faith, their faith. The faith of the four, the faith of the one. Lowering down. <laughs> I'm so easily distracted. I would freak out, y'all. I'd just go, what, what, what's happening? What, what is going on up there? What happened? And I think Jesus, he just, he's not upset at all. He's just smiling. And here, here he comes. Here comes that man, lowering him down. And the guy's probably going, hey, y'all, how's it going? And he just lay him down on the floor. All right, now let's zoom out 30,000 feet. We've got five minutes. You ready? 30,000 feet. We're zooming out now. Are you with me? Let's look. Oh, wow. You got four faithful men with a paralytic over here. You got Jesus Christ teaching the word, preaching, teaching the word of God. Man, I'd love to hear that. The king expounding the Old Testament, preaching the word. All right, he, there he is. And then almost this group, there's some other people in the house. They're the scribes and the Pharisees and the lawyers, and they are mad. They were born in the negative mood, and they're, and they're over there, and they're just angry. They're so angry at life. They're angry at Jesus. 
because so many people have come to hear him. You'll see the dialogue next week that Jesus, he has to address them because they're so out of the will of God. He has to deal with them because they're the religious people. They are the ones. This breaks my heart to say this. These knuckleheads were the ones that God wanted to reach the world. He wanted those teachers of the law. The erudite, these scholarly men that they knew the law, they, they knew the Old Testament, and God says, teach my people, love my people, and they would not do it. They would fold their arms because they didn't really know God, and they didn't, they didn't love the people, but Jesus does. And he's healing, he's commending, and he is rebuking. Here's my question, and I'm done. With which group of people do you resonate with? Are you sick? Do you need healing? Is there a separation between you and God and your soul is empty, is barren? Praise God you're here. There's hope. There's hope. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can speak the word. Your sins will be forgiven. Why did he say that? First, because the greatest need of all mankind is for sins to be forgiven. Healing's wonderful, but a soul that is cleansed, will spend eternity with God. Can you relate to him or can you relate to these four guys? Four faithful friends. That day, they looked at that man, they said, you're the one. You're the one. We're going to get you in the presence of God even if we go to jail. Even if we cut a hole in the roof. Don't you worry. There is a Savior. We're going to get you to him. How many of those guys are at Great Hills Baptist Church? It will surprise you. A bunch. There's a bunch of you like that. I wish I could just hug your neck and just kiss you on the cheek and say, God bless you. You are what make Great Hills Baptist Church the church that we are. And then there he is. This would be Jesus. And we all love him. We all adore him and worship him. And then you got these guys. They're religious. They'd rather be right than kind. They'd rather prove their argument and get their way instead of seeing a soul come to the Savior. But for the grace of God, Great Hills Baptist Church, we all can be in this camp. We can be so concerned what what I call the tertiary or the peripheral, the out, outer elements of garments and fabrics and things that we wear. Or the, the songs we sing and the way we conduct them. Sing them like they're written, brother. Sing the song, sing the hymns like we're written. We can be so immersed in that culture. And if we're not careful, our hearts can get cold. And we forget that Jesus came to save the lost. And our preference and what we desire is very small compared to whatever it takes. Cutting a hole in the roof, changing up everything we do as long as this person can get to this person. The last thing I want to say is this. 
I'm going to blow my nose first. Hold on. The more you're concerned with preference, the less you'll be concerned with lost people. The people in my 30 years of preaching and teaching who are the most vociferous with getting their way are the least likely to evangelize the lost. I see it all the time. Not only in my church, but in churches that I travel in, those that are very dead set, very, their hearts are beginning to get cold and if things don't go and operate like they think they should, those are the very people that never share the gospel. They never go out on mission trips and I think they're keeping people from God instead of bringing them. These people, these four faithful souls, bless their heart. They're raw. They're unconventional. They're going to ruffle some feathers. They're going to, they're going to cut a guy's roof in two. But they're so passionate. And the reason they do all that is because of that one single lost soul. So I'm going to ask you one more time. With which man do you most relate? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together. Thank you for the word of God. And Lord, maybe that's why most many don't want to preach the Bible because it is very convicting. Lord, we are revealed, we are exposed my Pharisaism and my legalism is laid bare before the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, my lack of compassion and lack of love, my lack of tenacity like those four men is, is laid bare before you. Oh God, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, that the grace of God flows from Calvary and it can wash every sin, every pride, every preference, every immorality, every stain on our soul. The blood of Jesus is efficacious and powerful. It can make the foulest clean. It avails and it availed for me. And I thank you, God, for forgiving me of my sins. Lord, I am a sinner. I, I feel like Paul, Lord, in my chiefness of sinning. God, thank you for forgiving me. Who are you today, my friend? With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, who are you today? Are you the person, the paralytic lying, and you're lifeless, and you're hopeless, and you're dying, and you're, you need help? And Jesus, first thing he wants to do is address your sin. He wants to cleanse you. Would you come? Would you allow him to do that? God will do everything but that one thing that only you can do, and that is just say, yes, Lord, here I am. I receive you, Jesus, as my Savior. Maybe you're here today, and there is a, there's a distance in your heart. There is, a, there is the idolatry of pride and preference and, and what we want. And can I just ask you to crucify that? Say, Jesus, forgive me and give me a hot heart. God, give me a passion to reach lost people. God, help me. Help me tell my pastor. Help me tell anybody that will listen. I'll do anything and everything in order that we might see one Austinite come to Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for that spirit of cooperation and that passion to do that. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor, I need the Lord. I need him. I want him. 
I'm not a paralytic in body, but I am in soul and I, and I need Jesus. Then you come today. Come to Christ. Come to the cross. Come to this pastor or this deacon or whoever standing up here and say, I come. I need the Lord. Would you pray with me? Would you, would you usher me into the presence of God for forgiveness of sins? You come. Or maybe you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I need forgiveness. I've, I've let my heart grow cold. I, I've let my desires preempt and take preeminence over God's desire. Would you pray with me that my heart is clean and my heart is pure and, and I'm not mean, I'm not angry, and I just want to see people saved? Pray that I do not become those people in verse 6. Pray for me. And Father, I pray for all of us. And I pray in the name above every name, Jesus Christ, that miracles would happen today. God's salvation would come. And this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. We'll stand before God and we'll sing praises to his name. And then we'll come to this altar and I invite you to come. This is not a forbidden zone. This is not the West Wing. This is not an area where you say, well, I, I, it's forbidden, it's taboo. No, this is a place of grace. This is a place where you come and have your soul saved and have your, your body prayed over and, and have your, your friendships for you reunited, have your relationship with God warmed over again. Would you come? I beg of you, I pray for you that you would come even now as, as we sing. God bless you as you come.